0: Good morning everybody, how are you today? Good, good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Christy Kerr. My husband Jeff and I are the pastors here, and we're just so honored to have you here at Homestead with us this morning. Um, The last five weeks, we have been in a series called The Believer and the Skeptic, and Jeff uh, just did an extraordinary job over the last five weeks of just talking about some of the questions that people have about faith, some of those fundamental things uh, that people ask about God and science, and is the Bible real? And so I encourage you, if you missed any of those, you can go back online and listen to them. Some of you are like, oh, no, I already sent it to my second cousin already, whatever. But just so you know, all of those are on there. It was just such a great time to kind of help us all dive into the fundamentals of what we believe about faith. But we're moving on, and we're going to start a new series today. Um, We are going to be talking about giving. Some of you are like, oh, man, take me back to the last week when you talked about sex. I'd take that one instead, right? We're going to talk about giving, and I promise it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But this is something that we do at Homestead. Every year since we started as a church, we have taken November and December to focus as a church on generosity. And it's something that we're really passionate about. We made a commitment when we started Homestead that 10% of all the money that would come in to Homestead, whether it uh, was from offerings or anything like that, 10% that comes in automatically goes right back out. And it goes out to serve uh, to help support missionaries. It goes out to serve our community. It's uh, it's to serve people in need, whatever that is. And so throughout the year, we are giving. As money is coming in, we're trying to keep up with that 10%. But we don't always know exactly how much is going to come in every year. And so our budget, the last two months, we can kind of start seeing how much play money we have in November and December. And it's been so fun the last couple of years to just have some extra funds to be able to just bless missionaries to bless. We Last year, we gave all the single moms in our church money for Christmas. We're able to do a lot of different things. And on top of just the money that's that part of that 10%, we also will start as a community to share some specific things that we're going to be doing in order to be generous. And so over the last couple of years, uh, you have all given to various projects that we've done, and we've kind of just taken these two months to say, how can we be incredibly generous? So today we're going to kind of start this series. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about generosity, and then over the next few weeks, you're going to get to hear from some different missionaries, some different people who are doing missions work, some different organizations, and what they're doing so that you have a chance to then put into practice this. So you're on board, it's going to be a fun couple months, yeah? All right. So It's one of my favorite things that we do as a church is generosity, but I want to ask you this question today. Have you ever thought about why churches talk about giving so much? Many of you are like, I don't know why, but I don't like it. <laughs> why do we do that? Let me ask you this. Why is there a connection to generosity and being a Christian? Have you ever thought about like why is that even a part of the conversation? Right, you can be a part of all kinds of organizations and all part, all kinds of different things in your life that aren't constantly talking about how are you giving, how are you serving, how are you uh, leveraging yourself for others. This is a part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And how should we look at giving as a part of our life as people of faith? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But today I want you to understand and get the ethos of what it means to be a follower of Christ and how that relationship with Jesus will overflow in a lot of different directions. But one of the ways it will overflow is in generosity. So as people of faith, we will be generous people. So let's uh, start in prayer, and then we're going to dive into scripture. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word that has every instruction for living and holiness that we need. And so, Father, I thank you that in your word, you took a lot of time to address the condition of our heart in a lot of ways. And Lord, you do put your finger on this area of our resources and being generous people and serving and loving and taking care of those. So God, we want to hear what your word has to say about this today. So I pray you just open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. I pray we would hear exactly what you want us to hear today in Jesus name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 today. So you can turn in your Bibles there. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible regarding giving and generosity. These two chapters together are really profound. So I'm going to start by just reading a passage with those, and then we're going to go back and unpack it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they not only uh, gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem." They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also In this gracious act of giving, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. So here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it, but now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. And later, they will have plenty, and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. So first, I want to talk to you about who these letters are talking about, what we're talking about here. So let's set the stage about who Paul is talking to and who he's talking about. So this is in the book of Corinthians, which means this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, Corinth is in Greece, and Corinth was a strong, well-populated, economically strong city. It was the urban center of the area at the time, and it had fine buildings, it had shops, it had theaters, it had trade. I don't know about you, but I always think of things in the Bible of like a bunch of people in tents somewhere. Well, this is not the case. Corinth was a strong, bustling city with a strong economy. It was an incredibly wealthy city. It was filled with artisans and agriculture and business. It was multi-ethnic because of the trade that happened. People would bring their goods into into Corinth, and other people would come and buy him. So there were people coming and going all the time, and it was filled with all kinds of different people and different businesses. It was a strong city. It was also known for immorality and corruption. And the church in Corinth was the church that gave Paul the most trouble over all of his ministry. You see him talking to them more and more about all the problems that they have. But Paul had come to Corinth, this strong, bustling city, on his second missionary trip, and he had stayed there for 18 months. He had started talking to people. He saw the first person come to faith in Corinth, and then the second, and then the third, and pretty soon there were enough that a church began. And so Paul stayed there for 18 months, helping this church grow and become established, and then he left but over the next 5 years Paul would regularly send letters back to the church in Corinth because he would hear what was going on. He would hear the troubles that they were having. He would hear the things that they were doing. And so he would send letters back to them about what they're struggling with in the church. And scholars will tell us that 1st and 2nd Corinthians are Paul's most pastoral writings. Of all the writings that Paul did, which is almost all of the New Testament, these two books show us his pastor's heart for this church that he loves. Of Like, hey, here's how I want you to grow. Hey, here's what I want you to do better in. Hey, here's what you're doing well. Here's how I'm proud of you, and here's how I want to stretch you. He's really pastoring this congregation, challenging them on the things they need to hear and encouraging them in what it looks like to be people of faith and to walk that out. And in these two letters, he addresses all kinds of issues. He talks about unity and evangelism, the church is a body, marriage, divorce, living single, the heart of the good news, and call, a call to holy living. He's giving the most basic funda- foundations of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then we get to chapters 8 and 9 in Second Corinthians, and we see Paul spend a significant amount of page space on giving two full chapters in this letter on what it means to live generously. And this is really important because Paul is teaching them the principles of generosity and how it is fundamental to walking out their faith And he does this in the context of asking them to give to a very specific need. This isn't just kind of overarching themes. Now, he uses this need to teach an overarching principle, but Paul is asking them to give to something very specific. He is collecting money to send to the Christians in Jerusalem. Okay, so we're over here in Corinth. Oh, this is in Greece, really strong, bustling city. Over here, we have Jerusalem. This is where Christianity began, right? This is where Jesus did his ministry. This is where he was crucified and was, uh, rose again. This is where the day of Pentecost came and the church began. So this was the place where the church started. And there, that was the first church that was established. The first Christians were in Jerusalem. Well, then people began going to these other parts of the world and sharing faith. But while this is all happening and these churches are growing in Asia and in Europe, something's happening over here in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem are being extremely persecuted. And they are suffering. They have nothing they are poor, they are hurting, and they are broken. And so Paul says, you know what? While I'm over here with all these churches, I'm going to share the gospel, we're going to start churches. But you know what else? Hey, guys, we have got to take up some, some funds to help our brothers and sisters over here in Jerusalem. So that's what Paul is talking about. He's challenging the church in Corinth to give money to the church in Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Everybody got it? Okay, I'm not great at geography, but hopefully you're getting it. So Paul is gathering offerings from the people he's ministering to in other parts of the world to deliver them back to Jerusalem. We can see this in Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 15, Paul is again talking to the church in Rome about this offering that he is going to be delivering. Here's what it says in verse 23. He says, now I've finished my work in these regions. That's over here. And after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you in Rome. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. So he's giving them his itinerary. He wants to go now his next journey to Spain, but he's going to go to Rome first and visit this church. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. He's saying, I'm going to need you to give me money when I'm there. (laughs) Paul is not shy about saying, yeah, I'm going to need some cash before I go to Spain. Verse 25 says, though, before I come, though, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Acacia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles, over here, received the spiritual blessing of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do is return. in return is to help them financially as soon as I've delivered this money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. And I'm sure when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. So Paul is explaining why these churches feel the need to give to support their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. But let's go back to 2 Corinthians uh, 8 because Paul is challenging them to give, but he is doing this by telling the church in Corinth in this big, bustling city about the generosity of another church in that area of Macedonia, the Church of Macedonia. Look again at verse one in 2 Corinthians eight. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in this gift. So what is Paul talking about here? Paul is telling the Corinthian church about the gift that the Macedonian church had given. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the church in Macedonia. This would include the church in Philippi, which was a Roman colony in the province of Macedonia in northern Greece. And if Corinth was a bustling, thriving, economically strong city, Macedonia and Philippi was the exact opposite of that. This was an area, a region that had just endured three separate wars from the Roman Empire and they had never recovered economically. This was a place filled with poverty. They had no resources. They had nothing. It was struggling. It was a struggling city. And not only that, not only was the entire area just struggling, the Christians in Macedonia were being severely persecuted as well. And not only would that mean that they were being mistreated, it would have mean most likely that they had been stripped of their personal property. So these Christians in Macedonia are living in this very poor region, and they don't have anything. And this church is giving to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Macedonia is poor. And Paul just can't help himself to tell this church in Corinth to the people who are not poor, what the people in Macedonia have done and the beauty of their generosity. I want you to look at the words Paul uses to describe them. He says, I want you to see what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. That they are filled with abundant joy that's overflowed into generosity. And it says that they beg Paul over and over again for the privilege of sharing in this gift to go back to the church of Jerusalem who was struggling Do you see the immense pride that Paul has in these incredibly poor, vulnerable believers who begged Paul to let them be a part of of the offering for the Christians in Jerusalem? Paul has been floored by the spiritual maturity and depth of these believers who are dedicated to give out of the little that they have. Now, I'm gonna have an honest moment here. Maybe some of you are thinking this, so I'll say it out loud. When I was reading this, my one of my thoughts was, that's really awesome. And another thought was, this is also a terrible idea. Paul, you should not be asking the poor people to give money, right? I Part of me thinks they should just keep it for themselves. If they're struggling, they shouldn't be giving money to the other place. They should be able to say, hey, We're having a hard time, too. We're being persecuted, too. We're struggling. They should just keep it for themselves, right? Anybody else think that? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to. But this is what went through my head. This is not good stewardship. Dave Ramsey would not approve of this at all, right? No, no. And is this just Paul being incredibly insensitive to their need and saying, hey, guess what? We even got the poor people to give us their money. Is that what's happening here? No. What's making Paul so proud? At the core of all of this, the Macedonian church has unlocked a very important secret of faith. And not only have they unlocked it, but they are living it out. And what is that secret? They trust God to provide for them. They're not worried about it. They know they don't have anything, and yet they're like, but what I do have God can have it. He'll take care of us. The maturity of these people to trust God with their financial needs is incredible. Now, I know that seems overly simplistic when we talk about the nuances of this topic, but that is really what it all boils down to, right? These people understood deeply that God was going to take care of them. They understood deeply that everything they had had already come from him and belonged to him. They understood deeply that we cannot outgive God. And when we see a need and we respond with generosity, we're simply funnels of the resources that God has given. And whatever we give out, he is going to pour back into us abundantly. When Jeff and I felt God leading us to start Homestead, it didn't start out like, hey, go start a church. We had been pastors for 15 years. We had been at the same church for 10 years of those last, those last 10 years. And we had really been praying and felt like God had just challenged us to, that there was a new season on the horizon. And many of you have heard this story before. And many, some of you haven't. But we felt like God was saying, hey, there's something new on the horizon. And so we were kind of praying about it. And we had a general idea. But we really didn't know what was next. And so uh, we resigned our position in January. And we thought, okay, by February, surely we'll know what's happening next. And that started a season of four years that we did not have a steady income. Four years that we just kind of filled in wherever we could. We preached, we led worship, we did whatever. Jeff wrote a really fine Christmas musical for a church called Guys and Dolls. You should check it out someday. No, Guys and Malls, even better, yes. We did anything we could to scrape 50 bucks together. And I would like to say that that was one of the hardest seasons that we have ever gone through, but one of the best seasons that we have ever gone through. I call it our season of life where we were fed by the ravens. Now, that sounds weird, but in the Old Testament, there's a story of Elijah where he was going through a season after he had been burnt out, and God told him, you know what, you're just going to go, and you're going to sit by this brook for a while, and every morning, I'm going to have ravens fly in and just drop food for you, and that's what you're going to eat. And when I get to heaven, I'd like to see the video of that. Because it feels like, is that creepy? The birds flying in every morning with your food. But God just said, you're not going to worry about You're just going to sit here. You're going to listen to me. You're going to recover. And I'm just going to bring you whatever you need. And that's really what it was like. We just we just had to wait every week to see, like, okay, what what jobs are going to come? What income is going to come? We really had no idea how it was all going to happen. And there were days that we didn't know how we were going to pay our mortgage. We didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. And then we would walk out and there would be a check in the mailbox. And we were just like, this is incredible. Like, we were always shocked every time. Like, look it, he did it. God provided every single time. And we both shared the story that there was one day that we were like, look it, another check came again. And we were like, God, this is so cool, but really stressful. (laughs) And the Lord really spoke to us like, it's only stressful if you don't trust me it's only stressful if you don't trust me. That's the reality because we had said all along in those lovely 15 years when we had an employer in between what we thought was God's provision and him giving us a check every week. And we said we were trusting God, but once this middle person was out of the equation every week, we're like, you think it's going to show up? You think it'll be there? Is God going to provide for us? And when the Lord removed that system, that institution out of the middle, all of a sudden we learned something about ourselves. We didn't really trust God. That's what we learned. And it was a huge moment of us having to stop and go, wait a minute. Do we believe this Bible? Do we believe these promises? When God says, I will provide for everything you need, do we really believe that? And you know what revealed it to us was our lack. What revealed it was the fact that we didn't have anything else to count on other than Christ and his leading and his guiding. And let me tell you, he provided every single thing we needed until we started this church. People are like, oh, are you so nervous to start a a church plant? We're like, no, it's steady income. It's fabulous. God alone provides for us. He alone provides for us. So Paul's pride isn't the fact that he got the poor people to give the money. Paul is proud of the maturity of these believers and the fact that they have got it. And he's telling the Corinthians this because perhaps they have not gotten it yet. Because where they had much, and they had a lot, and they had institutions around them and they had community and they had business and they had trade and they had all these things happening it seems to me by what paul is saying is in this letter is that they haven't quite got that yet that they are generous but with a little bit of reservation and he's saying you know i want you to look at these people over here who don't have anything And they have learned the secret that God will provide everything they need. Because you know what? Sometimes that's a harder lesson to learn when you have resources. When we have enough and even more than enough, sometimes it's harder to recognize that God is the one who provides for us. And he will generously supply everything that we need so that we can then be generous with others, right? So what can we learn today from these passages? What principles of giving can we learn today from the church in Macedonia? from these sweet believers who gave out of whatever they had. So I want to just talk quickly about three things. Number one, God works through us when we give. God works through us. Look at verse one. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. When you give to others, God is working through you. We talk about this all the time. God is looking for people who will simply be funnels of resources, that he can pour resources into our life and that we can then say, okay, God, how do you want this to go out to those who are hurting and need ministries? How can I help support that? Right? He's looking for funnels. When we go like this and we just hold on, we stop the flow of what God is doing. And God wants to meet the needs of people in the world but I have never once seen just a huge bucket of money fall from the sky, right? How does God provide for people? He uses us. That's how he does it. We become the funnels. We become the ones who do it. So somewhere right now, there could be a woman somewhere in Farmington sitting there looking at her bills today going, God, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my heating bill. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. God, if you're real, could you... Could you provide that resource for me? I don't even know if I believe in you, but I don't know what else to do. And you know what? Some believer over here could just be in the morning praying and feel a nudge in their spirit to write a check for $119.10. And you might think, well, that's stupid. Nobody writes a check for $119.10. But they can't get away from it. And they're like, the Holy Spirit just keeps putting this on my heart. I don't know why, but I'm going to do it. And the next thing they know, they're in the school drop-off line and they see that woman and the Holy Spirit says, that's who it's for. Here's a check for $119.10. Please don't think I'm crazy. But I was praying and I just felt like I should write that. And I hope that it's a blessing to you. That's how the kingdom of God works. That's how generosity flows. That's how the spirit of God works through his people to meet the other needs. What happens to both of those people? The person who prayed? My gosh. My gosh. God is real. God heard my prayer. He answered me. What happens to this person? Let's do that again. <laughs> that was amazing, right? All of our faith is built up when we choose to be people of generosity. God is, provides for the needs of people by using us. We have to be people of the spirit who hear God and are willing to walk that out. But what happens? Most of us, we're sitting there and we feel this prompting and we go, that's probably just me. I, that, I, would, I could never do that. I, probably, I would feel so silly doing that. I could never just like walk up to somebody and give them something. But I am praying that this week, this would be an exercise that we as a church will do, that we would say, okay, God, if this is how you provide for your people, I want you to show me something this week. Maybe you're packing up your kids' clothes and you just see a coat and you're looking at it going, I think I'm supposed to give this to a neighbor. Or let the Lord, as you're walking through your neighborhood, maybe just say, I think you should bring a bag of groceries to this family. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in ways that you can be generous this week. This is how we walk out our faith and we demonstrate the supernatural power of God to provide for us, right? And when you just take a risk and say, okay, God, I might mess this up. I might get it wrong a few times, but I'm just gonna keep trying until it gets easier and easier let me tell you, nothing will grow your faith faster than when you step out and trust God to work through you, right? Amen. So the first thing is to allow God to work through you to be generous. The second thing is this, joy overflows into generosity. Look at verse two. Paul's talking about these Macedonians. He says, they're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed, in rich generosity. When I was studying this verse, I looked up the Greek word Paul used here to describe their joy. And the word abundant, uh, it gave this definition, and I thought that it was amazing. It's the Greek word parisia, and the definition for that word is superfluity. Superfluity. It was in every Greek dictionary I looked in, and I'm like, well, that's a great word. What does superfluity mean? And it means an unnecessarily or excessively large amount or number of something. It's just a stupid a lot amount of something. And this word means they had so much joy in their faith that they were just, what can we give? That their generosity flowed out an abundance of joy and an us- unnecessary, over-the-top abundance of joy. That's what the Macedonian churches had in superfluity, right? Was it money that they had in abundance? Was it resources of like, guess we have so much money we don't even know what to do with, we just can't help but give a little to you? No. What was overflowing in their lives? Joy the joy of what God had done in their lives, the joy of who God was, the joy of their salvation, the joy of being a part of this family of God. Paul says that their excessively and unnecessarily large amounts of joy caused them to overflow in generosity. Generosity is an outflow of joy. That's where it comes from. Joyful people are generous people. And this is what Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church. He's saying, hey, a generous spirit doesn't come from an overflow of resources. It comes from an overflow of joy and the fact that you are a part of the family of God and you get to participate in that. This is why Paul in the next chapter, in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, will say, you must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully who it just flows out of because you're just so blessed by what God has done that you can't help but want to bless others. Paul is telling them your giving shouldn't be a response to a guilt trip of, oh, I guess I have to do this now. But it should be a natural overflow of, look, look what I get to be a part of. Look what we get to be a part of. So if today you are finding yourself struggling to be generous, Maybe it's important that you take a step back and ask yourself how much joy you feel about your salvation. Start with the joy, right? This is why when we gather together in worship and and Jeff will say, can you just say the things that you're grateful for of what God has done and who he is? There's a reason that we ask you to speak those with your lips because when you remind yourself of how faithful God has been, when we speak out, I remember where I was before you found me. I remember all that you have done. When we rehash the goodness of God, joy wells up and out of that overflows all kinds of good fruit in our life, including Generosity. So fix the joy part first. Remember what God has done for you. Recognize the incredible fact that we were lost sinners saved by grace and adopted fully into the family of God. When you find the joy of your salvation, it will overflow into generosity. And lastly, I want to talk about this. First, we're going to remember that generosity is God working through you. Remember that generosity is an overflow of joy. And lastly, Remember that it is a privilege to share resources with those in need. Look at what verse 4 says. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You can come up, Jeff. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I have had this point in my notes all week. And I was planning on talking about the privilege of giving. And I guess in my head, privilege can mean a lot of things. But as I started thinking about it, I guess mostly I think about something that is really a duty, but we're supposed to feel really honored about it, right? Like when your mom's like, it is a privilege for you to have your phone, right? It's like, okay, I'm supposed to be grateful, but mostly it's, it doesn't feel that way. So I wasn't quite sure where I was going to go with this idea of privilege. But when I studied this verse and I dug into the Greek a bit, I had my eyes open totally new idea to what Paul is saying here, and when I, when I saw it, I sat at my computer, and I just cried. Now, it could be because I'm just tired, but I think there's something really special here. When Paul says, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem, the word here for privilege is a Greek word that you might have heard before. It's the Greek word koinonia, If any of you have gone to, like, a camp, you've probably heard koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship, for community, for friends, for this family that comes together. The church in Macedonia begged again and again, let us be a part of the community. Let us be a part of the fellowship. Let us be a part of what God is doing. We don't have much, but we're so happy to be a part of the family of God. Can we participate in this thing, please? They said, please don't leave us out. And I thought that was so beautiful because it wasn't just that they shared with what they had. It was them recognizing that they were a part of something bigger than just them. And I can imagine these incredibly poor, persecuted, facing incredible hardship, probably feeling pretty isolated and lonely Hearing about brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, you mean they're struggling? They're being persecuted too, just like us? Can we help them? Can we love them? Can we support what God is doing through them? How beautiful is the family of God? And listen, this is what we are invited into as followers of Christ. We are invited into the koinonia of the church of giving. Right now, to get me again. Stephen Maxwell is in Tanzania and he watched them dig a hole in the ground where fresh water came into a village that did not have clean water. And that well was paid for by the Youth of Homestead Community Church. And he got to watch the water come out of the ground and the village run around because they haven't had clean water. That's our family. Those people in that village, that's the church, that's us. They're our brothers and sisters and guess what? We got to be a part of the miracle for them today. We got to be a part of that. We get to be a part of what God is doing over there in this country and over here in this ministry. We get to be a part of it, we get to share in all of it. When Dennis and Patty are reaching out to people who are struggling with addiction, it's not just, oh good on you Dennis and Patty, Keep doing that, we come along and say, what do you need to make this work? We've got you. That's the koinonia of the church. And they are one of thousands of people who have a call to do something significant for the kingdom and they cannot do it until they have resources. And I know that we don't like to talk about it because everybody gets weird about money, but guess what? None of this happens without funding. None of this happens without resources. These are amazing people who love God and who call the church every week going, could you just help us a little bit? This is our job. Not all of us are called to go, some of us are, but we all are called to look at our brothers and sisters over there and going, koinonia, You're my family, you're my community. What do you need? I'm here, I'm in. This is how the kingdom of God advances. This is why generosity is a key part of being a follower of Christ. Because if we just hold it all in, nothing happens. The gospel does not advance. People don't get clean water. Addicts don't have people to walk through their recovery with them. It just stops. And that is why we need to be people of faith and asking God to pour out his resources through us. Now listen, I want you to give to Homestead. Please don't stop giving to Homestead. We really need to keep the lights on. (laughs) But I also want to challenge you, don't let your only giving be to Homestead. Right? Now, it's really cool that you help us, you know, pay everybody and keep the lights on. And it's cool when we all come together and we show you projects and we pull our resources and go, hey, guess what? We're going to all pull our money together so that we can do something significant over here. But that when I talked about somebody just writing a check, listen, we're not the professionals that somehow God will speak to us and then we distribute the money. It's your money. It's your resources. God has put it in you, and I want you to pray about God where you want me to send this out. This is a part of discipling you to hear the voice of God and be generous. You don't just give it to us. I mean, give us some. But don't, don't just think that it's up to us to, to be generous with your funds. God will speak to you. And he will tell you who you should partner with. And it not just have to be money. You might have skill. You might have resources. Half of the stuff in this building people gave us. Oh, hey, I have flooring. Oh, hey, I have tile, right? Not everything was even cash. It's resources. What do you have that you can then leverage to grow the kingdom of God? So we're gonna pray. I hope I didn't scare you talking about generosity, but listen. This is the most fun you will have in your whole life if you can get this concept. It's the most fun you will ever have. When you get to be a part of what God is doing and you get to see the kingdom of God advancing through what you are giving, it is an amazing builder of faith. And it is the privilege of being a part of the family of God, amen? Amen, let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you so much for the family of God. Lord, it's just so beautiful to me that we don't become saved and then we're just left to grow in faith by ourselves in our houses. But Lord, you built the church. It's this community and it's not just this this one unit right here in, in Farmington, God. Your church is around the world and today there are people all around the world gathering together, singing, lifting your praises. We are a part of a huge chorus of people who are lifting your name up and seeking to make you known throughout all of the earth. And God, we recognize that so often we can be like that church in Corinth, who Paul says they were good at so many things, they were so knowledgeable about the Bible, they were great communicators, they, were, they had wisdom, they showed great enthusiasm, but they really needed to grow in the gracious act of giving. Perhaps because they had so much, it was harder to part with. So, God, we are asking that you would change us from the inside out. Help us to learn the lesson that we cannot outgive you. That you want to use us as a funnel of resources. And that as we are generous with others, you will continue to take care of everything we need. We don't have to worry about it. So, Lord, this week, I am praying that you would drop an act of generosity into every person in this room. Whether it's big or small. I'm praying that you would, by your spirit, speak to them and that they would follow through with that act of generosity. And the Lord, every single one of us would grow in our ability to hear your voice and to be the hands and feet of generosity on the earth. Thank you for being so generous with us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.